Hello, and welcome to the Network Collective Community Roundtable. Our friend and former co-host here at Network Collective often says there is no such thing as server provider technologies or enterprise technologies. They're just technologies that solve a problem. That's a paraphrase, so don't hate me too much if I got that wrong, Russ. And while that is absolutely true, oftentimes service providers and enterprises are solving for very different problem sets and end up using different technologies or even the same technologies, but in wildly different ways to solve their business needs. Today, we're going to have a conversation with a couple of guys who have sat on both sides of the fence to chat about what's so different about the wide area networks that service providers build and compare and contrast that with what the typical enterprise has to build for. So before we get started, I also wanted to let you know about an exciting new project we've been working on here at Network Collective. Uh, we're partnering up with Network to Code to release a whole new podcast series focusing on network automation and programmability. Our first episode of that series is coming out next week, and it's something you're going to want to not miss. So keep your eyes open for that. Uh, joining us for today's episode are longtime friends and contributors here at Network Collective. We have Nick Baraglio and Kevin Myers. It's good to have you guys back. Uh, both of you have spent time working in different kinds of networks. Um, so I'd like your take on Russ's statement there about the idea of technologies that relate to service providers and enterprises. But it also, I think it might make sense to give a little bit of background uh, so people understand, you know, where your perspective is coming from and what your experience lies in. Sure, I will. Uh, I'll start that. Um, so my background is actually mostly in service provider work. Um, I started that in the mid 90s went into enterprise networking, um, took a slight detour into enterprise security for a hot minute, then went back to service provider and I've kind of bounced around in research and networking and mostly stayed in the, in the wide area space. Um, I think that to answer that question, I would, I would really just respond by saying it is conveniently meta, right? It's not wrong but it's so high scoped that it really can't be. And I, and I think that there's some important details that we should probably talk about uh, in, this, in this gathering here to, to maybe tease a little bit of that part. <laughs> Meta, huh? That's, what, that's, that's how you're gonna apply it. Uh, so Kevin, how about you? I mean, do you have a, an initial like high level take on that? Do you have a thought? And also, you know, what's your history? So people have a bit of an understanding of where you're yeah, coming from. Yeah, definitely. I would say that for me, um, I'm going to kind of come in on the, on the middle road there. Cause I definitely agree with the idea that, um, that, that we shouldn't, yeah, pigeonhole things into service provider and enterprise. I think as we talk about this, we're going to find plenty of areas where there's, there's crossover for technologies and, and applications. Um, but at the same time, you know, as Nick said, there are definitely things that are very distinctly, you know, that fall into the, the enterprise and service provider realm. And there's always going to be an exception. There's always a corner case. But there are, there are certainly some things, I think, that, that fall squarely in those camps. So just a little bit of background about me. Um, I've been in networking for about, I guess, 21 years now. And um, I spent a lot of time on the um, enterprise side and on the uh, service provider side. Did uh, work in telco. Did some work in um, like like government size and enterprise network and uh, Fortune 500 enterprise, and then about I guess seven or eight years ago, I started a consulting company, and that's what I've been doing for the last few years is just consulting on all different kinds of networks, um, data center, enterprise, and we're probably very heavily service providers still, but I'm doing more and more enterprise work again. So it's kind of interesting because on any given week, we I kind of ping pong back and forth between these and see. The, the, you know, the different things that, you know, that, that we deal with. And so, like I said, some of the crossover that we're seeing in technologies go both ways from enterprise to service provider and vice versa. Yeah. And I guess I probably should round it out. I think most people know who I am at this point, but uh, if you don't, I, I work uh, primarily in enterprise technology. I've not done uh, a lot of work in service provider networks. I have touched with some service provider style technologies in a company I did or that I worked in for some time that was, uh, that was a managed services type company and we we're building voice networks across the world. Um, so it's not a foreign concept to me, but I definitely don't have as much depth there as I know the two of you have, which is why you're all here. Cause we, uh, we call on the smart people to talk about stuff like this. So, <laughs> so I, I, I guess, I mean, and it's clear cause it's, it's really interesting that both of you kind of gave, and I'm going to say this nicely, a lukewarm answer, <laughs> right. As it relates to that quote. And, and it's kind of where I'm at too. And the reason why I say that is cause I think that, uh, I, I'm with Russ technology is technology is technology. Right. Like I'm right there. Like I can get behind that and the idea that, you know, we all run the same stuff. But the reality is that the problems are so wide, wildly different that the applications of those technologies end up being a bit different. And, and so while we're running the same stack of tools, 
or have access to the same stack of tools. And even that sometimes is not the same, because I think a lot of times when we talk about, you know, the, the technologies that are available on what we'll call service provider class gear <laughs> are not always available in enterprise class gear. Like the stuff that people are putting in uh, is the typical gear you see in an enterprise doesn't always have the same tool set that, that service providers have. But generally speaking, you know, we, we all could write a check <laughs> and, get, and get the same gear if we wanted to, right? Like there, there's nothing stopping us, uh, but we don't because, because there are fundamentally different problems. And, and so I think that the practical application is that there is a divergence that at times we run different things. I think that might be changing, just hinting a little bit too, like we'll, we'll talk about that as we get there later. So coming from the service provider side, because I think that um, the large majority of the people are going to be having sat on the enterprise side. You know, what, what do you guys think? Is uh, What are some of the technologies you think that might distinctly fit in that category? So I think to, to circle back around just real quick, you know, there are fundamental things, like you said, like networking fundamentals all exist across the board and that's more or less what the foundation is built on those ha you have to have those to be a network engineer in really any space where i think the divergence kind of starts to happen is um where you where you start having to think about where things are put like where they exist uh, in a you know in a carrier or a service provider you probably don't have access to nine tenths of the gear that you run it's in remote pops it's in peds it's in pedestals um you know on roadsides and things like that you know it might be in fiber shakes along railroad tracks under yeah i mean if you're doing long haul transatlantic transpacific oceanic circuits it's underwater literally and so the problem space starts to diverge incredibly fast for that reason alone um, and that reason also dictates a lot of the other aspects as well. Like in an enterprise, you probably have, you know, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of access ports. Whereas in a service provider, you have CPE, you know, customer premise equipment, and you may have, you know, hundreds of thousands of those, but it's not the same thing. It's not a single device that has a lot of ports in it. So port density starts to change. Um, how you are buffering data across circuits has to be taken into account, round trip times, things like that. It, it gets it gets hectic very quickly, comparatively speaking to, you know, some other uh, discipline. I mean, at the end of the day, we're both building WANs, right? But I think that, that when it comes down to it, the idea is that a WAN that a service provider builds has a whole lot of characteristics that maybe the enterprise doesn't have to deal with. Um, some of those things you mentioned about like where, where equipment may be, but when we when we think about WANs uh, from an enterprise perspective, we're thinking about diverse carriers, right? Like like that matters to us, right. like diverse carriers and, and and overall latency. But like we're not dealing with things like repeating signals because typically we hit it off to you and and you guys will handle that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to worry about I don't have to worry about these like super long distances and 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 what the actual medium does and can handle over a particular type of distance. That's not my my world to worry about. I just hand it off to you and. Have fun, guys, and I'm gonna I'm gonna send you right. my check and, and make, <laughs> make sure that it works. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the other thing that I I would say is, in my experience, which I will I will give you is is fairly dated. You know, a huge amount of the enterprise space isn't even thinking about WANs. They're just thinking about inter an internet connection, right? They're not thinking about I have ten locations, right? And if they are, it's I've got ten locations. I need internet at all of them. I'm probably not thinking about private WAN or anything like that. I, I, don't found know, I don't know how true that is. I mean, like I'm spending, you know, consulting in WANs, almost every customer that I'm talking to has private WAN. Now we, okay. we might be talking differently about what private WAN. So when I'm saying private WAN, they're going to pay, you know, <laughs> one of the organizations that you guys are used to working with or for, uh, for, you know, MPLS connectivity between their sites, MPLS not being them running MPLS, MPLS being that they're going to, they're going to have a handoff and You're you guys are going to do L3 VPN, VPN behind right. the scenes yeah. for them. Basically, they're buying an overlay. They're buying an overlay across across some sort of transit network so they can talk to each other. I mean, this is the the whole rise of SD WAN is 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 kind of like meeting this need to be able to have transport independence without necessarily having to have the carrier skill set um, to be able to to choose path diverse okay. or device diverse paths. You know, load balance across paths and a bunch of additional features and whatever. Um, a large majority of them we could have done before but was a completely different skill set than what typically sat in the enterprise from WAN. But I think your point is true in that the enterprise network engineer is not only focused on WAN. WAN is a small portion of what they do. It's actually probably one of the things they spend the least amount of time on. 
That's what I was going to ask next, because what's the percentage of time spent on that as opposed to access layer distribution? Layer right. They've stuff? got whole campuses they have to run with, you know, like you said, like high, high density of, of, of ports, like big switching type environments. They have data centers they have to run. They have to interconnect all those things. And then ultimately, I think the focus, I mean, really, this comes into, you know, why we build the network. The focus is completely different because I think service providers are kind of agnostic as it relates to the data that rides their network. Um, really comes down to how much priority am I going to give your traffic is going to be based off of the check you write to me. Um, if you're, if you're a for-profit, that's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's pretty much true. <laughs> I was going to say, I know you work for a research network, Nick, so it's probably maybe not, those things don't, uh, don't necessarily apply for you, but I just in general, like as it relates to the service providers that enterprises are dealing with, you know, like I'm, you're going to get priority based off of the, the SLA you've established with your, with your service provider, if you're getting a private WAN, um, but like that's as far as it goes like, and that gets down to to me what is a really uh, i think critical point between the two um what i found because i went first from service provider over to enterprise when i made the jump and then and then in consulting you know i came back and went back and forth but when i first you know did it the biggest thing that i realized immediately was that in, in the service provider networks that I had worked in, we were very focused on layer one through three. It was very focused on route switch because those are the technologies that we consumed as part of our, our daily work. And so it was all about, you know, do I, you know, do I have routes here? Do I have VLANs here? Do I have service here? Have I got end-to-end -end service? It was all about, you know, the connectivity and services. And then when I moved into enterprise, it was very focused on the application. Mm -hmm. um, and they were almost, you know, diametrically opposed because I was, you know, completely focused on the application. And it was kind of funny because in both cases, I learned an enormous gap in my knowledge that I didn't think I cared about. When I was in L123, I was like, I don't care about your applications. My pa my I ping and I have routes, so I don't care yeah, they work. You know, that you what, think what your applications you know? aren't yeah. working. <laughs> um, and so I didn't think I cared about that. Um, and then come to find out, I, I remember conversations I had as an SP on tier three talking to an enterprise and they were like, well, our app isn't performing. I was like, well, it pings, buddy. I, I don't know what to tell you. Right. So, you know, it's, you know, and you, you know, Jordan, you've been on the I've other side that of that call. conversation. I know exactly you've what you're talking about. Like, call. You jerk. Like, it's not that yeah, simple. Yeah, you stop. <laughs> so, and then, you know, and then you think about that, you get on the other side of it and then you're like, you know, I remember the first time we connected to international data centers we had 50 milliseconds of latency on a gig circuit between the data centers. And the systems guys came to us and they were like, we can only get like 50 meg in this pipe. They're like, your, your network is broken. No. And we were like, well, that's, you know, that can't be right. So we were like, then we were like, well, we can't get it either. And then we learned about long fat pipe and yeah. latency and bandwidth delay product and all of those fun things. And then, you know, as you get into TCP windowing and you look at that, you're like, oh, so the application the application is not doing what it needs to do because we have a networking problem. So that was my really first time that I that I connected that the application and the performance delivery for the application is is married to the network that it's running on. And so then if you have packet loss on that or any kind of, you know, you know, high latency or spikes because you don't have it built well, then that makes things even worse. So anyway, I, that was that was a big realization for me at a moment where, you know, I, I'd gotten out of service provider. I'd done like lots of MPLS and BGP. I was like, man, you know, I really know some stuff. And then I get into, you know, get into this huge enterprise and I'm like, wow, I don't know any of this stuff. So <laughs> it was a big, you know, it was a big learning moment for me. But now coming back and forth between the two, it's it's, it's been helpful for me because, Sitting on the enterprise side, I know when I'm talking to a service provider, when they're telling me the truth and when they're not, you know, and what they're trying to do and vice versa, sitting on the service provider side and they're, um, you know, I, I actually did this recently with a large enterprise where they were like, you know, well, this is your problem. I said, no, I, I think you guys actually have a problem inside of your data center. And here's where I would suggest that you go look. And then a week later, they were like, yeah, we had a problem inside of our data center. Yeah. So like it was, you know, it, to me, I think for engineers that are, you know, if you're looking at it, but from a, just from a career standpoint, you know, I think I, you know, certainly don't, you don't have to do it, but I found it to be very helpful in looking at both sides of the equation. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I learned um, was that looking at error counters was, I never really did that as a, um, an enterprise network engineer, like looking at port error counters, because for the most part, the stuff was clean and the applications could adjust if it wasn't um given the short distances that they were you know relatively speaking that they were using because it was in-house stuff typically that i was working on whereas when i went to service provider or we tried to do things over the wan you know back in the day it was like ds3s and stuff and so like looking at your sonnet interfaces for your you know your oc inter uh, your oc 
reports and stuff, you could get a lot of information that would tell you that, you know, here's, there's a problem with this circuit. Um, but I never really needed to do much of that when I was in the enterprise space and having that crossover knowledge to think about the application, like you said, Kevin, and then think about, you know, that particular case, you know, error counters can be indicative of a bunch of different problems that then you can kind of go down. That was really powerful to be able to see sort of both directions. Yeah, the guy, yeah. It, it points to that. It points to that idea that that again that you're solving for different things. It's really funny because the way you put it, like as a service provider, you're looking at layers one through three, right? And and that makes complete sense because that's your that's where you make your money, right? Like ultimately that that's yep. that's that's the business outcome for a service provider is that layer one through three works correctly, but the enterprise is the exact opposite because they make their money from layer seven. <laughs> Right. Like that's where they make their money. They make their money from the applications yeah. and the data and all the stuff that's there. The network is just a supporting feature. Right. So the network just enables the application to do what it needs to do. And so the focus is, is 100 percent different. Sure. Whereas what? the network is the product. For I was just going to say that is yep. the product you're selling. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that that's a lot of the focus. And so and we've we've been talking and I think that this might be worth it, diving into a little bit about as well is that we've been talking enterprise like it's one type. I mean, we're talking about the service provider like it's one type. I don't necessarily know that you can really even narrow it down or, or just have those two broad buckets. No, that's and that's a great point. You really there's there's no way that you can be you you can really look at it with that broad of a brush. And we're all guilty of it. I do it every day because it's just a very common term to use, you know, when we're having these conversations. But, you know, I, I work for enterprises that are really more of a service provider. They use mainly service provider technologies and and they kind of classify themselves as an enterprise. And then I work for service providers that have heavy enterprise focus and they run DC technologies and sell DC, you know, hosting services. And there's, you know, and there's so many different rabbit holes and verticals you can go down, but you're totally right in that there, there is a, a huge mix of, of things out there in that definition. Well, and you also have the, you have the profile, the makeup of the company. You know, there's lots of companies, like when you look at like retail, uh, there's a there's a couple of centralized regional hubs and like thousands of these spokes that are just these small, low key offices that have you know very uh, predefined, specified uh, technology that's meant to be as repeatable as possible. You look at maybe you know you get into you know a banking thing and all of a sudden the things that they care about is is completely different. Like that was where you spent some time, I believe, Kevin. Like you spent some time in in banking, right? Yeah, um, I did banking. Re I've done banking. I've done retail, and I've done you know well, a few I, other I, different enterprises. Well. So like, how, how many how many other <laughs> industries can I? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, you get, definitely. You get into healthcare, and like their yeah. models are these very large campuses, um, sure. that that tend to have a lot of remotes regionally, <laughs> but aren't necessarily doing large distances. You tend to have like these very concentrated hub, large you know uh, campus with a bunch of regional like small offices that exist around that large office. And like there's all right. these different profiles. And I don't know that networking is the same from one to the other because I even find like I might re recommend one particular solution to one type of customer or another type of solution to another type of customer, even though they're solving the, for the same problem and they both are enterprise customers because the profile of the network is completely different. So while they're all using the same technologies, like we talked about coming back to the fact that there are foundational things that you have to do when everyone shares, ultimately at the end of the day, you're solving for what the business problem is. And part of the business problem might be like how you're geographically laid out. And this translates to service provider as well. We talked about where your gear is, but I feel like maybe in the enterprise, it's a bit more constrained. <laughs> like, like, like you can define the edge of the enterprise a lot better than you can in the service provider. Cause the service provider is like, Oh, over here we need gear. So we're going to now build out to this area it, it, where I can very easily say I'm a hub and spoke network. I'm a partial mesh network. I'm a full mesh network as an enterprise service provider. It's not always so easy, right? Well, and, and I'll tell you what I will, I will tell you my opinion, what, what makes there's a huge difference and it doesn't matter whether it's service provider or enterprise, whatever you call it. What I see is that when you have a network that is largely inside, whether it's in a data center, a campus or a building, there are certain things that you will do in, in that kind of a network. When you take a network outside and you put it into the elements, there are certain things and ways that you will design as you bring a network outside. And that's where I find a lot of fundamental differences in the way that we design, because you have to start thinking about 
you know, well, how am I going to get all this traffic here? Oh, there's a mountain in the way. Oh, there's a lake in the way. Oh, there's, you know, things that are going to chew through my network. So I need to understand what kind of resiliency and HA protocols am I going to use when a beaver, you know, chews through my fiber or a drunk driver hits my, you know, telephone pole and knocks it out at 1am, which happens like, you know, all the time, all these things assault your network. And in fact, my favorite, my favorite joke actually is I was talking to somebody about chaos monkey one time and they were like, yeah, we use chaos monkey and it's awesome and it salts your network and you find out where all the problems are. I was like, I was like, yeah, we've been using that for years. Mother nature is like our day-to-day chaos monkey that like wreaks havoc. And so that's to me, one fundamental difference is when you put a network outdoors versus indoors, you, you solve problems in very different ways. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think that that exists. Like you said, outside there definitely is a whole set of different characteristics. But I mean, even I, I, I don't know that that's unique service provider enterprise. But I, you're it's right. Not. The, the distinction is inside outside. Because yep. all of a sudden you're doing you know microwave shots across a distance. I have a, a customer for my last right. job that did that across like a, you know five ten miles yep. of a microwave shot. Yeah. Okay. All of a sudden like you're starting to do the math on like okay oh this was impacting that at that time and you know here's here's why that doesn't work and like yeah you just have to start designing around some of the things you don't have control over where when it's in a building it's a wire. Right. Exactly. And unless unless you have like a really crazy tech or something like no one's going to be chewing through your wire. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh man. Yeah, that's definitely true. It's an inside and outside thing. And and to, to further that point, um, one of the other differences is sort of a soft difference, right? And the way that you think about things, because you know, things that are inside are typically contained, right? They're contained both physically and logically. Like I know this gear resides here. This is the edge of where it is. Whereas in a service provider, you know, you've got gear all over the place. And, you know, that that's very distinctly changes your security profile as well, right? In an enterprise network or a campus network for that matter, a non-wide area network, you know where the edges of it are, both logically and physically usually. Um, and you should know where they are physically. Um, in, a, in a, you know, in a wide area network that is in fact a, like a carrier or a service provider, your network edge is soft. It's the autonomous system number right? It's where that AS stops. That's where your perimeter is. And it probably exists in a blob over a geographic area or a country, or it might be global. And so the security model that you're going to use on that is going to be extremely different because you can't do things like, I'm just going to NAT stuff and say it's security, or I can't put a middle box at that perimeter of all these 100 gig PNIs, uh, private network interconnects, right? You could, you could, but no one is going to pay for that because the benefits are going to be low and the problems that they're going to cause are going to be high. Right. So you have to you have to have a very different security architecture as well, and it's um, it's a mind shift. Uh, well, but uh, you bring up security too. You're secure. Like I, I think that this is also one of those things you have to think about. Security inside of a service provider network has a different goal, a different purpose. I think what you're securing is different because when the enterprise is definitely talking, talking about security, they're talking about okay, how do I make make sure that the the right data stays in the right place. Um, that we don't see yep. data exfiltrated in, in a way that it, it isn't good. We want to make sure that we keep, you know, the bad guys out of the network so that they can't, you know, crypto lock my machine or, or those types of things like that. Those are the security questions that uh, enterprise where I think with, with service provider, uh, you're not diving into the actual traffic like this writing nope. network. You're securing your network. Like you're securing, right. you're, you're securing the device. The control so plane is control what you plane. really you care about. Data, securing. Right. Yeah. And so I think with the enterprise, um, uh, Obviously, this is evolving. Um, the old school way was the the hard, crunchy exterior and the soft interior. No one really cared about the control plane of the network devices that sat on the inside. We only cared about the control plane of the stuff that sat on the edge. Um, that's that's changing. We understand that, but like uh, ultimately, you know, I still think enterprises you know, rest on their laurels a bit in the sense that you know, if I have a switch that's sitting inside my data center. You're going to need access to that network before you can attack that control plane, and access to that network is just not handed out willy nilly. Right. The other side of that on the service provider side, like that's literally what you're selling is access to that network. <laughs> so like, well, and, and access the physical yeah. access problems too. So oh, yeah. like some of the, one of the things I often, you know, we talk about protocols that are used and why you use certain protocols. I'll often hear people say, why is MacSec a thing? Well, if you've ever run a fiber network through Northern Africa in territories that may or may not have groups of armed rebels that are going to physically assault your network or try to tap it for information, then you'll run MaxSec on your carrier network to make sure that if somebody 
like either, you know, if somebody goes and tries to tap it or look at it to get financial data or whatever, because they broke it into a cabinet on the side of the road, which has actually happened and actually happens quite frequently in areas that aren't as secure. You know, we're in North America. You know, we don't really expect that people go into telecom cabinets and just assault them to tap fiber. But in other areas of the world, that's a significant, serious threat. And I I like, you always bring the obscure corner cases. It's fantastic. Ah, uh, yes. If if the network can be, yeah. If there's there's something, some weird corner of the network. I've probably found it. I had the I had the you know Civil War Rebel group that you know <laughs> came through and tapped my, tapped my like no enterprise network in North America has ever thought about that you know that problem scenario before. That's hilarious. So uh, on the other side of that coin, I should say that you know. Some of the some of those are shifting in the other direction as well. As you see more compute on the WAN, pushing resources closer to the clients, especially in mobile networks, um, which are some of the largest networks in the world, right? If you go by host count, you're seeing compute pushed further out into cell site towers yeah. and and other places in order to get that content closer, so that they don't have to backhaul it, yep. right? Because back backhauling is expensive. Expensive, yeah. Well, and yeah, edge compute is going to change. It's where where does the network edge really stop, right? Like when we start talking about edge compute, because all of a sudden, you know, these content provider networks or the big cloud providers, like their edges are 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 going to become really really fuzzy. <laughs> like well, that's well, our, that's already it's happening. already there, but it's only getting worse, right? Like we see we keep seeing Definitely. broader and broader, you know, caching engines that live inside of a service providers compute that lives in, inside of, like you said, like we're going to see, especially as we talk about 5G and, you know, high speed access to the tower, to the local local provider, more and more compute that exists like at that site <laughs> to deliver right. services I mean, and, and, and stuff because we don't want to, back, I mean, who wants to deliver that from like cross country and pay for all the backhaul to make that happen? Nobody, because a lot of these are connected by N by 10 gig, right? So these cell towers and other places, and it may, they may have 40 if they're old. But going from that to 100 to N by 100 is a drastic change, right? You got to change out not just the, it's not just the termination gear, right? It's all the WGM, the wave division multiplexing gear in the middle. You're going to need new transponders. You're going to probably need new shelves. And, you know, that is very, very expensive. You can put whatever you want over the fiber as long as it's characterized correctly. But like, you know, it's going to be limited not by physics usually, it's going to be limited by how deep is your pocketbook. So I, uh, that brings up a good point, actually. Uh, so one of the things I've noticed about service providers is they tend to be very, very slow on upgrade cycles. And this makes sense to me from an economics perspective. So I see, you know, service providers, they make money selling a network. So obviously, you know, delivering that network with as little cost as possible is paramount because that's how they, that's their profit margin. Um, if they were refreshing every two years, all of a sudden, all their profit margin gets eaten up in, in hardware refreshes. So that doesn't make any sense. So I see a lot of service providers that hold on to gear for a lot longer than what enterprises are comfortable holding on to It's gear honestly for. not even as much the cost of the gear. It's the cost to go get somebody to go put it out is, there. Is that, is that the driver? Of an average yeah. county, that is a huge... Take your county and how many people would it take to replace you know, every piece of equipment and every cell tower, every fiber point and that cost. Okay. I always thought it was an economics thing when it came to the actual gear itself, but I guess the, uh, the, the labor and some of the, the softer, you know, uh, you know, cap, it's or, that, it, it is gear. Are, You're not wrong. It's just, it's, it's that the, the labor cost is a massive component too, in addition to the gear. And, and that's a huge piece. I see. And, right. So, the enterprise so think about yourself of like in, end of life, right? Like the idea is like the vendor announces right. end of life. We need it to support it because ultimately this is supporting an application. The application makes us money and we can't have it to the point where this thing breaks and we don't have anybody to call to fix it, to make it work. Where, where service providers have to build more resilient networks to begin with. They build with these ideas that I have to be able to, to be a bit more flexible because, you know, the, the, the chipmunk may take out my piece of fiber, right? Like we talked about that earlier. We have to yep. be more resilient. So we already have a bit more resilience than what we see in enterprise networks. And then I also think that there's a, you know, because you're just working layer one through layer three, there's a really solid familiarity with the technology. So you just feel comfortable with the idea that, hey, if this goes out of support, that what's on there works, <laughs> you know, like well, there's, well, there's, and, there's, and that's there's also a good reason. Like that's a good point as to why they're actually moving away from traditional vendors because the traditional upside upgrade cycle that we've all been in networking, which is 
you have this box, this box does this thing. There's another box that's another gen with another software that does cooler and faster things. And so now you've got to kind of plan that upgrade cycle, but you may get forced out of a technology that works for you and that you're comfortable with purely because it's not going to get patched or whatever that, that case is. And so separating the software life cycle from the hardware life cycle, yeah, the whole disaggregation you know, which story. is going to delve yeah. into the open networking, like that's become a huge thing for service providers. If you, what I would, I would tell anybody listening to the show is to go take a peek on the telecom infra project. I think it's telecominfraproject.com. And you will actually get a peek behind the curtain of everything that is going on in open networking and telecom. Uh, and there are working projects for access, last mile, aggregation, peering, core. I mean, literally every technology that a telecom use uses, they are working on open networking to replace a traditional vendor. And there are, there are telecoms that are very, very close to not having traditional vendors in there. And either assembling components from you know white box ODMs and and operating system manufacturers, or in the case of AT and T, like AT and T just went and wrote their own operating system and said we're we're just going to do this and own this because we're tired of you know the cycles that we're going through. And so that worked well for them because they could kind of manage their own destiny, you know, in that in that respect. And also, you know, not to drop the five G bomb in here, but the expense of five G because of it needs to be so much more ubiquitous than than LTE was. The, the cost to, to do it with a traditional vendor infrastructure was it just wasn't going to happen. It would never happen if they didn't come up with a new model to, to build it. I was the first to say 5G, so I opened the door. You don't have to worry about <laughs> dropping that bomb. <laughs> the 5G bomb so. there's, there's, there's a couple things here. The first one is telco gear tends to have a longer mean time before it's been end of life. That's true. Right. So like telecom gear, you're going to see seven to 10 years. Right. And that's normal especially for the big stuff, right? Like your, your optical platforms. Um, and two, another couple reasons why um, those upgrades, especially in the cellular world, don't happen as frequently, at least in the United States, and at least in the region where I am, is one, a huge amount of that fiber does not actually belong to the cell carriers. There are companies that specialize in only putting fiber in to connect cell towers and then they lease strands or if they're smart they sell managed service over it over like a MEF system right so you can say here's how much you get over this and so there's coordination that has to happen to upgrade that that isn't the telecom right it isn't Verizon Wireless or AT&T or whoever sure yeah there's an interesting um, then, question here that's, that's a bit right. broader than just the gear Right. Yeah. And then third, when I'm, I'm kind of hovering around this optical space here, but when you start thinking about the optical platform space, um, how many engineers do you know that have a lot of experience with DWM platforms? Right. Well, no, I'm actually going to go on that because fewer that's and further becoming between. a popular thing in the enterprise space, because if you've ever paid for a cross connect, you will know why <laughs> when our enterprises are so, you know, right. so excited about DWM. I actually see DWM going more into enterprise and data center where it traditionally you're right nick it definitely has not been that way in the past but in the last right. five years i've seen dwdm mentioned more often in enterprise and dc conversations than i ever have before now oh definitely that dci gear that is now becoming much more prevalent the data center interconnect stuff is sort of blending that between the two i think what was the there was a company that came out that was uh oh boy they did tech field day a couple of times <laughs> um and they, they basically specialized in these platforms that were data center boxes that had uh, WDM on the back end of them. Sure. Oh, okay. Um, so I, and but, that was the first time I started seeing that blend. But when we talk about DWDM here, we're not talking, yeah, I still don't run into a lot of enterprises that are running their own optical shelves and, and slicing and dicing themselves and, and running all of that themselves. I know that you can get DWDM built into, like you said, either an appliance that you buy that's, you know, purpose built, or you can get DWDM optics that plug into, you know, your router that you're running for, for whatever. So you can, you can do, you know, wavelengths, but it's not, it's not the same as running your own optical network. I, I, I think there's two different, very, two different classes. Network. Yeah, they are. They are definitely very, very different things. I'll, I'll actually tell you where I see it, Jordan, outside the data center is if you get into any city where you have very it's very challenging to get new infra run. Like I've totally seen yeah, that course. done. Like you go to New York, Boston, you know, whatever those those places. That's where I, you know, enterprises 
that have headquarters there have leveraged that yep. because I don't want to pay a hundred thousand dollars to run it 40 stories or whatever. You're right. And I, and I, I mean, like I've, I've worked, so I had a, a customer who was a large hospital that, that ran their own optical network just because it made sense because they're, you know, so distributed across right. this metro area and, you know, they ultimately wanted to, to deliver their own, their own service across dark fiber. So that was what they were doing and were able to do that, but it's but, not, I don't think it's a super common inside the enterprise. No, it's not. It's not. I, yeah, I would, I would, I would probably say that it's not that I see that it's super, super common, but you know, five years or maybe 10 years ago, it was like almost unheard of. And now it's at least something that people are, you know, are delving into as a solution. And there is a direct correlation between that becoming much more prevalent and the reluctance of carriers to sell you dark fiber strands. Because yep. normally when you get dark fiber, you get it on what's called an IRU, like an irrefutable right of use or whatever it's called. And it's basically a contract for 10 to 20 years right. where you have this dark fiber pair. You can do anything you want over that, mm -hmm. right? And you can run you know, 50, 100 gig circuits over if you want to buy all the transponders. That's all revenue that they are no longer getting. Right, because you would have bought those as individual circuits from them if you didn't, right. if you didn't buy the dark fiber. Yep. Right. And so as that's become more popular, the reluctance to sell dark fiber pairs has become significantly higher. I didn't realize that there was a higher reluctance. Uh, I haven't I, ha yeah. I haven't been in, I haven't been in the market of paying for that stuff well, recently, so I don't know. Well, they they it's not a reluctance, it's the cost has done this. I mean, it's just ballooned, right? So they'll they'll be happy to sell it to you, right? But you're, you're gonna definitely going to pay. Gonna pay. Yeah. 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 If you're a carrier, it's a little easier if they know you're a carrier and they know that you're just doing it because you're extending your network. Like that happens all the time because carriers just, you know, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Enterprises and carriers do the same things. Enterprises have this massive overload of circuits they're managing and trying to deal with across diverse carriers. And then, and then the service providers have this massive number of fiber, dark fiber contracts that they have to manage across all the providers. So they're like managing the same problem, just, you know, one's layer one and one's layer two. And three. <laughs> yeah, slightly, slightly different. Yeah. And there's, yeah. a, there's a significant layer eight attribute in the managing yep, the contracts part. Sure. But lo you're right. Long haul is easier to get, right? Because they know that you're going to probably be doing service provisioning over it because that's what other reason why would you want it? But this is another reason that big companies, Google's put in their own fiber plant. Um, you know, the content providers are building their own fiber networks on dark, on, you know, putting their own dark, dark fiber in the ground or building their own optical platform networks for this exact reason. And that's a whole Pandora's box, too, because content providers have traditionally taken the stance that, oh, we're content providers all the while. It's like, oh, yeah, we have, you know, a terabit of access to here, here, here and here and here. And well, you know, and there's the. Who was it? Somebody wrote an article on the death of IP transit recently. I think it was uh, somebody over in Apnic that was pretty notable, but they were talking about this idea that less and less traffic is going onto pure IP transit from a link that you're one. buying and it's going over NIX and it's going over CDN or a content provider is transporting it in some way. And so the makeup of, you know, all of the things we consume and the way we connect is shifting. And, and to that point, I see enterprises are starting to get into IXs. I see that a little more commonly that they show up in, in IXs than that they are, um, you know, leveraging that because uh, we have BGP hijacks all the time. We have other connectivity issues and they like that direct peering relationship because, you know, suddenly Cloudflare doesn't go away. Um, and so that, you know, that's a, that's a uh, I think a benefit that, that enterprises and data centers are getting into and realizing that they can take advantage of that. Whereas, you know, probably five, 10 years ago, I, I don't know if, any enterprises other than like, you know, Microsoft or something like that, that were peered into an exchange. Yeah, I think we're, well, they're almost a content provider. I mean, at that yeah. point, right. I, I think the IX thing in the enterprise is going to be something that grows over the next five to 10 years for sure. Cause I think that Gu yeah, guaranteed, yeah, I, guaranteed. I, I think that, you know, if you had had that conversation five years ago, they would be like, IX, what are you talking about? And I think all of a sudden I now, you know, all of, all of the world's traffic, right. It goes to like, you know, seven or eight destinations or whatever. <laughs> when you talk about the large, large, large majority of it. And if you can get direct connectivity to those things, those things that are providing SaaS, so your cloud providers, all of that all in one spot, then why wouldn't you go do that and just build a connection to that and then, you know, get your low latency connection. Like you said, don't have the dependence upon, you know, internet routing tables and you kind of run it yourself and kind of like, you know, plot your own destiny. That's a good thing. Well, cloud services have been a huge driver for that, right? Because right? yeah, Amazon things have been sucks out. in so much of the world's traffic that it doesn't really matter what you're using. You know, it's almost always landing there <laughs> anyway. So if I can get there directly, why would I? Why would I depend yep. on the, depend on the internet routing table uh, to get there? And then it's not just there, and but you also mentioned the the content providers. We have all of these like CDNs, these people who are pushing you know all this data down to the edge. If they're going to drop into an IX and we're going to get immediate access to that, 
you know, I'm probably not going to cache enough myself to build a caching server as an enterprise or a service provider would or a larger service provider would. But if I can get to that IX where that thing exists, all of a sudden I have and, access to that thing and I don't have to depend on my service provider for it. And yeah, like there's all kinds of benefit there. And anymore, building building your own caching system is pretty much a non, nobody does it because everything's HTTPS. You have to get that. I think there are a couple, Kevin probably knows the names of them, but there are a couple notable exceptions you can buy yep. that have agreements. Quilt but, is one. Right. So they will cache that content because they've got agreements with Netflix and whoever else. All of YouTube. them. Yep. But like, like the days of the distributed squid proxy, I mean, I had a huge squid proxy in 20 years ago when I ran a early broadband provider. It was peered with all these other IR cache nodes over different, it was basically my own extended IX that would never work today. I mean, it just, it just wouldn't because you yeah, can't no, that's, the data. We're, we're totally, we're totally past those days. And and I think that, that too, because of what, because of the things are changing so much in, in the makeup of the, what is the quote unquote WAN, you know, I think we're seeing a protocol shift too, um, you know, especially in the enterprise and DC space. I've definitely noticed it in the last decade that um, I know when I first started working on some BGP only designs inside the data center, you know, and even for enterprise, like global enterprise connectivity and using things like um, uh, BGP communities for, you know, for traffic management and engineering, that was, you know, a very, very foreign concept. And there was a lot of pushback. And now, you know, AWS said, well, you're going to BGP peer to us if you want to talk to us and you're going to do these things. And so I've definitely seen the protocol stacks, you know, if we talk about the protocols for a minute shift you know, inside the spaces in both in both directions, to be honest, I've seen, you know, some of the technologies, um, you know, come over, like you guys said, on the compute side, you know, we've seen things like, you know, Kubernetes and containers and all of these things, these technologies come over into the service provider space. And then we see, you know, BGP, the great trash can of the internet is forging ahead, you know, into pretty much every major enterprise network that I'm in, if you want to talk about, you know, the larger um, enterprises, and even in some of the smaller ones I work with, you know, we look at it and say, well, this, you know, this solves the problem, fairly well. And so I, I think that's that's definitely something that I see as both both a, a positive and it's also been a source of friction because I think that um, I've seen resistance in both sides. When I've been on the enterprise space to putting, you know, protocols that are perceived as, well, this should be on the WAN or this is, you know, not meant for the interior. This is, you know, this shouldn't be here because that's not what we've done. Um, and I've definitely had to deal with like that resistance. And and on the other side of the fence, you know, in the ISP world, it's, well, we just put a box out there for that. Well, why don't we virtualize that? No, no I don't like that. Let's just put a box out there for that. So like, the, you know, in both camps, we're trying to, you know, kind of expand our horizons and say, let's find a technology that that fits the problem and try to, you know, and try to do a better job of solving the problem with the tools at hand, rather than being locked into the models that we've been in in the past. I, I think along the same lines, too, I think that it, it's really funny because I, I, I talk to service provider friends, uh, oftentimes you guys, as, as well as others that kind of scoff at some of the things enterprises are doing, like, oh, it's great. You guys finally come to the come to the party. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, like, uh, the, the concept of overlays uh, like service providers have been doing like layer three VPN, L two VPN, like all these all these technologies, right? Like they're all overlays. You guys have been doing this forever. Yeah. All of a sudden now, yeah. overlays are all the rage in enterprise networks. We're talking about the data center. You're talking about the WAN or the campus. Doesn't really matter. All of a sudden, everyone's talking about well, let's get the complexity out of the actual underlying network and let's put the complexity into some sort of you know logical. Put on layer three. We'll do overlays and and, and give ourselves this. And you're like, hey. We won't be able to help you on this. Like we've done this for like years, and years, and years, right? Uh, the the number of service provider engineers who scoff at SD WAN because it's like, what, what, what? Like we've been doing this forever. Like what are you talking about? Like you know. But you know, and you're right. You're totally right. Like that's like the whole overlay thing. We're like, oh yeah, we you know we've been doing you know VPLS and VPLS and MPLS and L three VPNs, all that stuff for years. Um, but you know, it, it, like, to me, it gets down to a fundamental problem I had when I jumped over into enterprise networking. I spent so much time in things that weren't related to my core skill set of routing and switching that it started to like, it started to degrade. Like I really all the, like the high end service provider stuff, if I hadn't been consulting on the side, I probably would have lost a lot of it because the focus was so different and it was in so many different things that, you know, yes, I did a lot of high end BGP and we worked on a lot of that. But when it came time to solve those problems, and this is, you know, when I first did this, this was SD-WAN was just becoming a thing. It was just being talked about. 
So now, you know, if you can abstract that skill set and say, you know, here's a technology that gives you a lot of the benefit of I'm going to go into BGP and design this wonderful community scheme and I'm going to local prep everything and have all these nerd knobs to tune. And now I have a box with, a, you know, with a nice control panel to deal with the, one of those things. It solves a real problem in that you are head down focused on application delivery and you're focused on responding to all the different teams that need these things that are part of your time. And I know, you know, at the end of the day, I really didn't have much time to focus on high end route switch and none of my team did. And that to me is a real challenge in, in enterprise networking is a lot of things you want to do, but, but having time to develop those really high end skill sets, you know, I mean, how many times do you use BGP conditional advertisements in, you know, enterprise networking, probably not a lot, yeah. you know, and, and all those kinds of things. So I think, and it's not that, you know, and it's not to say that we couldn't go do those things, but the, the time that's devoted and where where the organization feels that the time is important. I've seen this in other organizations, too. It takes you away from that's the things. key. So though. You need a different way. What to you solve just it. said is the key so I, is where the organization finds the value in that time, because sure, yeah. you know, I, I like there's a lot of really, really fantastic enterprise network engineers, people who really know their stuff. But their time is better spent building the application or supporting the application team, making sure the application's running optimally, uh, rather exactly. than building, you know, this one-off, uh, you know, amazing, amazing BGP network, yeah, completely, <laughs> you know, traffic-engineered BGP network that would be, yeah. in, you know, like they're completely within their capacity to do, given the right time and resources and whatever. Yeah, segment the, routing in the campus. But, but, but the company wants to move on, right? The company, if I can buy this solution rather than building it myself, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. I think I think this really comes down to one simple concept, right? It's it's a it's the laws of complexities, right? So service provider and this I'm going to circle back all the way around to Russ's statement. There's problems in their solutions, and while I will say that it's so high level that it really can't be wrong, it really <laughs> speaks to the fact that it's a complexity issue where you can never get rid of it, right? Complexity is a thing that is always going to be there. And each network just picks it up and puts it in a different spot. Like the enterprise network engineers, they don't care about all the nerd knobs in BGP. If you give them a panel, like like Kevin said, to click the buttons and do it, that's time well spent because their complexity model is in a different place. Whereas you service provider guy, their complexity model is probably in those nerd knobs and the TE and all the other pieces. And so all it is is just a shell game of where the complexity sits. I want to rephrase that a little bit differently. I think you're right on, but I think it, I think it's really where you need the flexibility. And the flexibility is all about what you're trying to deliver. Because a service provider is ultimately delivering a WAN, you don't want to hand off that service to somebody else and then be put in a box. Right. You, you don't want to be you don't want to be limited to whatever the prescribed method is that something like an SD-WAN provider would provide you. That's something you want to build yourself because it's your product. It's what you sell. I want to have the flexibility that if someone comes to me tomorrow and I need to deliver a new service, I have all the tools, the knobs, the capability surrounding that to be able to deliver that. I don't want to be constrained by someone else's artificial I, constraints. I just had that conversation with like all my clients <laughs> this week because you're right. That's exactly what it is. Is I you need to have an, a, a net. We need to have a network design that is is you know elegant enough to react to things you don't yet know that you need, but you would like to sell. Uh, no, on the enterprise side, the problem is different. My value comes in being able to deliver the applications that enable the business. Now I can enable those applications with a more rich tool set through something like SD WAN without necessarily investing my time there because the prescribed models will give me all the flexibility I need to deliver the thing that actually matters to my company, which is those applications which drive the business outcomes. And so with that, I can just buy it, put it in, get it up and working and live within those constraints because ultimately that's not what's making me money. What's making me money is the fact that I am reliably delivering an application. I can spend all of my time and effort on that one thing. And it all comes down to perspective. It all comes down to what are we solving for how are we solving it? And as engineers, we have to understand our businesses to, to dive in and be able to really give ourselves all the flexibility we need around the things that matter <laughs> to our business and not spend all of our time working in stuff. I mean, I would love to be able to play in the sandbox all day, right? Like as, as an enterprise engineer, when I worked at enterprise, I loved when I got to play with that stuff, but it ultimately never ended up being something that we implemented a lot of in the network only because it wasn't critical to them. It wasn't worth the complexity, yeah. the risk, the, the whatever, because they didn't get that much out of it. Now, yeah, now yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on my soapbox here oh for a minute because the one the Usually one the thing that guy. is I yeah I, I have a few soapboxes, <laughs> but the 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 one thing I do see that is a challenge that we I, I feel have gotten away from in the last decade is as engineers looking at the protocols that are available to solve the problem and understanding when you know am I spending an enormous amount of time 
solving something or trying to invent something or cobble things together that don't really solve my problem well when there's this other technology over here and it may not be you know it may not be the right political choice to say isis is the way that i want to solve this problem but the reality is like that's a great solution to the problem and we can we can dispense with all this other junk and so i think one of the things we have to kind of look at as we're designing networks is make sure that it is helpful to be aware of other technologies that are being used in other verticals of networking and say, you know what, I'm not going to like just discount this. And you may have organizational pushback and there's things that, you know, constrain you, but at least be open to, you know, the validated design from the vendor should never be the end all be all of the way you design networks. And if you, I think if you look at it and say, I'm going to take elements of this and elements of this because they work well and they fit well, in the protocols that I need, I think we can build better networks. I, th I think ultimately you just got to Russ's point, and that is that there's no technology that either, you know, domain uses that is exclusively the right of that domain. So, and yeah. and I think all of this conversation is is uh, precipitated upon the idea that the people we're talking about are engineers, and when I say engineers, these are people who are willing to go in and dive in and understand how those technologies work, and and, right. and build the right things for their company. And I think there there's you know. Uh, again, solving for different problems, but you're right. Nothing is off limits. Like I think that, that that's the right approach. Nothing is off limits. And that's why I think the point of what Russ says is that, you know, uh, these technologies, you know, maybe MPLS layer three VPN is what needs to be used to solve uh, enterprise, you know, uh, segmentation issue. Like, and it, I mean, it, it's been done many, many yeah. times, many times. Yeah, right. it's, a, it's a pretty common now in the data center to use that. Exactly. Actually. And so, you yeah. know, this is what has traditionally been a service provider technology. It doesn't have to be right. And I think that's the yep. point. Um, this was a really good conversation, guys. Like, I, I, I feel like there was a, a lot of back and forth. You know, I think ultimately <laughs> it comes back to the answer that it always comes back to. And it, it, it depends. <laughs> right. That's the answer. Yeah. It depends. It depends on what you're solving for. It depends on the environment you're in. It depends on why, why you're doing what you're doing. But I do appreciate you guys coming on. Before we take off, I do want to give everyone an opportunity to find you online. So, Kevin, I'll start with you. Where where are you? Where can people find you? I'm in a few places. I'm at Subarea51 on Twitter. And my blog is Subarea51.net. Um, and my day job is at IParchitects.com, uh, uh, I-P-A-R-C-H-I-T-E-C-H-S.com, where we do global consulting for networks. So you can hunt me down there or LinkedIn or Facebook as well. Awesome. Uh, how about you, Nick? Where can people find you online? Oh, I'm around. I've got a blog. It's forwardingplane.net and Twitter that's at forwardingplane. I'm on various slacks. Just Google. I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> All of us are a little bit of everywhere. I don't think we're, we're hard to yeah. find. So I'm, uh, I'm at BC Jordan on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me by searching for my name. Uh, those are pretty much the, the common places here at Network Collective. I have a, a very defunct individual site that I've stopped writing at and I've started writing at Network Collective. So uh, that's really where you're going to go find me. Uh, so if you enjoyed this episode, there's a lot like it that sit out there at networkcollective.com. If you'd like to subscribe and have everything pushed to you uh, as soon as they're released, we can be found on all the regular podcast sites. So iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and the like. As a podcast, we have you know our own social media presence. So at NetCollectivePC on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we're on LinkedIn. Just search for Network Collective. And I think that's, uh, that's going to be it for today. So I uh, really do appreciate you taking the time to listen to the episode today, and we will see you next time. 